This is A Word, a podcast from Slate. And I'm your host, Jason Johnson. The Supreme Court's decision to end constitutional protections for abortion rights overturned decades of precedent and defied the majority of American people who supported Roe versus Wade. Activists who have been ringing the alarm bells for years about intrusions on reproductive rights are warning that this decision will cost women their freedom, and in some cases their lives. And marginalized women of color are likely to pay the highest price. More on African Americans and abortion rights coming up on A Word with me, Jason Johnson. Stay with us. Welcome to A Word, a podcast about race and politics and everything else. I'm your host, Jason Johnson. The loss of abortion rights has created a national and international uproar. A solid majority of Americans favor keeping abortion a safe legal option and a choice made between a patient and doctor. Still, the Supreme Court's decision in the Dobbs versus Jackson case has plunged millions of women into legal and physical jeopardy, with seven states banning virtually all abortions and a greater number seeking limits on access to reproductive health. The burden is going to fall harder on African-American women. Many of the most restrictive states have substantial black populations, and the racial wealth gap means that fewer black people will be able to travel to states where abortion rights are protected. That combined with the general over-policing of black people, has already created a climate of fear for African-Americans who may need abortion care. Joining us to talk more about this is Imani Gandhi. She's the senior editor for Law and Policy at Rewire News Group and the co-host of the Boom Lawyered podcast. Imani Gandhi, welcome to A Word. Ah, thanks for having me, Jason. So you talked on your podcast about your immediate reaction to the announcement of the court overturning Roe versus Wade. Just tell our listeners about that. Like when you heard it, because you're someone who knows this stuff, who knew this stuff was coming. What was your immediate reaction like? It was still a gut punch because there's one thing to know cerebrally what's going to happen. And even with the leak, the draft leak, I mean, I thought that would prepare me for the ultimate gut punch. But there's something really profound about watching six unelected people tell you that you don't have a constitutional right to an abortion anymore. And let me be clear, I said six for a reason, because right now there's this sort of narrative in the mainstream media that it was really just the five that overturned Roe versus Wade and that Roberts is somehow the moderate and maybe we can rely on him in the future to sort of temper this court. That's crap. It's nonsense. The Actually, I... If you ask me, I think Roberts's concurrence um, evinced the level of cowardice that at least the five Federalist Society people didn't evince. Right? They were there to overturn Roe, and they just they just took a they just gutted it in the kidney. Right? They took a shiv to the kidney. Roberts, on the other hand, wanted to do what Jessica Mason Piclo, my co-host at Boom Lawyered, and I have been calling a coward's compromise, which is <laughs> to uphold this 15-week ban, but then still somehow pretend that in doing so you weren't overturning Roe versus Wade. That That's not possible. Roe versus Wade said that you had a constitutional right to an abortion up to fetal viability. There's no fetus that's viable at 15 weeks. So if you ask me, like, Roberts is a punk. And he's getting a lot of pass in the media. Like, I don't know if I could curse on here, but I might call him a punk-ass bitch. Like, he's getting a lot of pass that he shouldn't be getting. And it's only because he's really interested in sort of preserving his legacy as this as the guy who was going to who was going to restore legitimacy to the court and he's done everything but so 
But back to your original question, it was a gut punch. There's something really disturbing about people telling you that you're not a full and equal citizen. And that's what women and people who are capable of becoming pregnant were told on Friday, that your lives don't matter, your sense of self doesn't matter, whatever dreams you have for the future, your economic circumstances, they don't matter. What matters is that you have a womb and that the state has an interest in the contents of that womb. And until you expel those contents, and even if you die in the process, that's too bad. That's your job now. And that's, I mean, that's some serious 18th, 19th century thinking that Alito and Thomas and the rest of the faux originalists on the court want to drag us back to. And it's based on a lie. It's based on nonsense. And the ruling itself was an embarrassment. The opinion was an embarrassment. So many people who I spoke to, they were upset, they were offended, and I'm sure you're in the similar position, like in your friend group. Your friends who don't do what you do, who who come to you, like, what do we do now? Right? right. You're that friend, like in your friend group, and uh, and. But what also got me is the large number of people who I spoke to who was talking about how it affected their lives. My friends who have kids who are in college, my my former students who have recently graduated, who are like, what the hell, like you know you know, I, I just graduated a couple of years ago and these are the kinds of things. What have you heard from just say people in your personal life? Like people who, who, who aren't podcasters, who aren't journalists, who aren't lawyers and aren't activists. What are you hearing from just the regular masses of people when you've been talking to folks since that's rolling? People are terrified. People are terrified. I mean, to be frank, anyone who is in my inner circle knows that what I do, so they kind of, I mean, it's like hard to not talk about it. I basically <laughs> talk about it all the time. So um, there are not a lot of people that I would consider real close friends who didn't at least know what was going on. But right. beyond that, even those people are just terrified now in a way that I'm not because, look, I'm turning 48 next week. I'm not popping out any crumb snatchers anytime soon. <laughs> I don't have any kids, so I don't have... Like, I don't have any immediate concerns for immediate family members or myself that this is going to affect. But, you know, I'm this empathetic person. I care about other people. I care about women. I care about pregnant people. And I will fight till, you know, my last breath for the rights of the people who are going to come behind me. But for people who are in this fight, or even those who aren't, who have daughters who have children who ha who get their periods who are going to be surveilled by the government it is terrifying right now we live in an era of mass digital surveillance and that's yes. what's going to make this this era without row different than the po than the pre 1973 era without row because back then People were, you know, committing felony abortions and conspiracy to commit abortions. I mean, there's this HBO documentary right now out called The Janes, which is about this group of women called The Jane Collective, who essentially were running an underground abortion service in Chicago in the late 60s and early 1970s. And in the beginning, mm. they found a guy, just a guy who wasn't a doctor, but who, did, who performed abortions really, really well and was really, really... Um, actually very compassionate towards, towards the patients, very compassionate towards the other Janes who were helping him. And eventually he decided he didn't want to do it anymore. So he taught the other, he taught the Janes how to do it. We're talking 23, 24, 25 year old women who were just college students, who were activists, who decided that they were going to learn how to perform abortions. And they did, they performed thousands and thousands of abortions on people in Chicago, on people who came from uh, the surrounding area to Chicago. 
Um, and then once New York decriminalized abortion, I think in 1971 or 72, of course, all the rich folks in Chicago started going to New York. So the right. Janes were left with the more impoverished people, the low-income low people, black and brown people in Chicago. They did get raided by the police in 1972 mm -hmm. because some... Because an, a, a relative of someone who have obtained an abortion from these people ratted them out. And so they got <laughs> raided and they got sent to jail and they were facing 110 years in prison. 110 years in prison. And so, and I'm telling this story for a reason, not just because you should, re you should watch this documentary because it's amazing, but because they were doing this work in an era where there was little chance of being caught. First, because right. men didn't give a shit. They really didn't give a <laughs> shit about abortion back then. They only started to after Roe when mm. the sort of evangelical movement decided they needed another issue, another linchpin issue to get the people in line. The segregation, yeah. Right, yeah. exactly. So men didn't care. The cops didn't care. Everyone in Chicago knew what was going on, but no one was getting hurt, so they didn't do anything about it until they were sort of forced to by someone who was concerned that their relative was getting an abortion. But... So I, I, I bring this up because, you know, like you said, people who are coming to me, what are, what are we going to do? I don't know what to do. How can I help? There are people that are starting to, to float these ridiculous ideas that are going to get their asses sent to jail. And I just want to let people know to stop organizing on Facebook and TikTok. Just right. stop it. Stop organizing on social media in public. Stop wearing T-shirts that say, I will aid in a bed abortion. Because listen, you may think that I'm joking. Like, oh, what's the big deal? It's a T-shirt. So you have a picture of yourself on Facebook wearing this T-shirt. Like, think about the January 6th insurrection, right? Yes, All of these ass clowns who were, mm -hmm. who were, you know, filming and dropping Facebook posts about all of this illegal activity they were doing. And then a year later, the FBI is knocking on their door saying, excuse me, <laughs> we have Facebook posts of you, you know, storming the Capitol. The same thing will happen. They will come to you. Law enforcement will say, we have pictures of you, you know, on the two days after Roe was overturned, wearing a shirt that says, I will aid and abet an abortion. Then we have this other evidence and that will all be used as circumstantial evidence to convict you of committing a felony and you're right. of no use to anyone if you are if you are arrested particularly if you are arrested and you're gonna you're gonna just rat everybody out right like so many of these people who are on tiktok and facebook <laughs> you ain't about that life <laughs> exactly you're not about that life you're flexing for clout you are gonna rat anybody out the first chance you get. And that means everyone who has come to you for help is going to mm. end up in prison. So for God's sake, shut your fucking mouths, man. Just stop <laughs> it. Oh, it's so, so frustrating. I, you know, there. I've had several people ask me about this. I've done my own reading about uh, period monitoring apps and how those can be. So talk a little bit about like, should people be should they all be, you know, deleting their period monitoring apps, you know, from their phones? Is it really something that, you know, the Texas Rangers are going to use and they're going to handle it? Like, what should people be doing about that kind of technology that's on their phones? They should start using an app called a pen and a calendar. <laughs> like, <laughs> honestly, if you need to track, I mean, is that in Google stores? Is that on Google? <laughs> <laughs> you can get it in the Android store. No, but seriously. <laughs> 
Just get an analog calendar and track your cycle that way. Because yes, period tracker apps are collecting your data. They know when you're getting your periods. They know when you're ovulating. That information could be used in some future prosecution against you. If you read the terms and service of these apps, they 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 say they will sell your information to advertisers. There was one app that was just... Um, sort of exposed in either Motherboard or Wired, where they said that they will provide the information even if law enforcement doesn't submit a, a, a subpoena. They'll just do it <laughs> as a matter of course. So, I mean, get rid of the period tracker apps. Um, and I see there are even some, like, Democratic politicians that are saying, you should use these apps instead of those apps. Don't use any apps. There's just, there's really, I know it's so convenient, but a pen and a calendar will do you so much better and it's so much safer. There was an official, Scott Lloyd. He worked in the Office of Refugee Resettlement. That was the organization that was in charge of all of the undocumented minors that were coming across the border during the Trump administration. He was tracking the periods of the pregnant minors that were in his care, right? He was tracking their periods and talking to them individually and trying to coerce them not to get abortions. And there was this one really big case a few years ago involving an undocumented minor who had been raped on her way here to the country. And this, the government was essentially holding her hostage in a detention center, even though she had already gone through the process in Texas that would have allowed her to get an abortion. The judge in Texas said, go ahead, get the abortion. The federal government stepped in and said, no, we're not going to let you out of this facility so you can go get care. So these are the kind, and they were tracking periods. There's an official in Missouri doing the same thing, tracking periods of people in Missouri. So, you know, I don't know what sort of shenanigans are coming for are, are coming down the pike in terms of how closely people are going to be surveilled. Are people going to start digging through your wastewater to see if you're peeing into a toilet and you have certain hormones that indicate that you're pregnant? Are you going to get a knock on your door because of that? We don't know what these people are planning, but we know that they're planning things that are not going to be good for pregnant people, not going to be good for women. And I think the most critical thing right now is digital and physical security. Make sure that you know what Make sure that if you are going to an abortion clinic, for example, wear a mask, park several blocks away from the clinic and walk, leave your phone at home. Don't just turn it off because you can still be tracked on your phone when it's turned off. Leave it at home. You don't want anyone to know where you've been, where you're going. If you have GPS in your car, take a cab, not even Uber, because they can track your Uber, you know, yeah. take a yellow taxi cab. You know what I mean? Like, these are the kinds of things that people need to be concerned about, because they are not fucking around. We're going to take a short break. We come back more on abortion rights and black women. This is a word with Jason Johnson. Stay tuned. You're listening to A Word with Jason Johnson. Today, we're talking about the future of abortion rights and the impact on African-Americans with legal analyst Imani Gandhi. So, Imani, the thing that concerns me is how particularly is Roe v. Wade going to affect young women? Because I think older women, you know, if you're, if you're 30, 34, 35 or something else like that, you may have means. You may have a social network. Mm -hmm. You know, you may have friends, girlfriends, boyfriends, you know, partners who can take you and take care of you. How does this specifically harm a 19-year-old freshman in college or a 20-year-old who's working at CVS? 
I mean, the harm to to young women and to teenagers is mm-hmm. massive, right? I mean, as you said, young people don't have these sorts of networks and they're also broke generally, right? right. I mean, they don't right. have money, but they're also having sex. And Mm -hmm. they're also using emergency contraception, which now in Missouri, for example, is banned because of the abortion ban, even though Plan B emergency contraception isn't an abortion. So this is going to affect college kids dramatically. It's going to affect, I think, um, teenagers even more dramatically because, you know, we have there's this whole sort of zeitgeist right now that just says all you got to do is vote. If you just vote, everything's going to be fixed. (laughs) Teenagers can't vote. They don't have access to the ballot. So what are what, why are you telling teenagers to vote harder? Teenagers who may be victims of sexual assault either inside the right. home or outside the home and need abortion care. Teenagers who are, are having consensual sex and get pregnant by accident and are living in evangelical homes where they can't talk to their parents about their reproductive health care options. They can't vote harder. You know, so this is going to affect youth access. It's going to affect young people's access a lot more. And it's going to affect brown and black and indigenous and and just low income people across the board to such an extent that it's it's hard for me to even wrap my mind around it right now. I mean, the stories that we're going to start seeing, we're starting to see them trickle in a little bit about people with ectopic pregnancies waiting until doctors waiting until they're practically dying before helping them because they're afraid of of getting sued. They're afraid of having their licenses yanked. We're going to start seeing those stories dozens by the day. By the day. It's it's so distressing. If Joe Biden said tomorrow, all right, look, we're going to allow abortions on federal property, right? Military bases, we're going to we're going to add centers to to, you know, post offices and everything else like that. Legally, Imani, because I don't understand this myself and a lot of people I've heard pushback on this one way or another. If he said you can get abortions on federal property, couldn't you also still potentially get in trouble? Because if you if the state says that abortions are illegal, but you can get them on this federal property, can't they sue you or couldn't they arrest you the moment that you walk out of the federal building? Or or if the states can't make abortion illegal on that property, can't they then criminalize anyone who assists you? So if I drive my friend, I drive my sister, I drive my significant other, well, fine, we can't get her in that building. But the moment you walk out and put your keys in the ignition, we're going to get you. Is that is that also a potential complication? Yeah, these are all potential complications. There's potential complications with the Hyde Amendment. You know, I mean, obviously, you, there's no there's no federal funding for abortion in this year's budget. I'd like to remind people that the Hyde Amendment is a rider to a budget that just gets attached every year. It's not a statute. Doesn't need to be repealed. Um, but yeah, but, you know. I know providers who would be more than willing to step onto an air for- to an air force base or military base and provide abortions for free. You know, military mm-hmm. bases have they have areas that are not being used right now. Lease them out to Planned yeah. Parenthood. Like no matter what the government does to try to increase abortion access, someone's going to sue. Republicans are going to mm-hmm. sue. I just didn't know that Democrats were so afraid of lawsuits all of a sudden. What would Republicans do? You know what I mean? Like, if Republicans were all pro-choice and they all wanted to abort all of the things, they would have abortion clinics everywhere. And if anyone sued, they would just say, fuck it, we'll, we'll litigate it. But particularly when it comes to abortion, every day that abortion access is available is another day that dozens and dozens and dozens of people can get the care that they need. So even if these lawsuits get blocked in two weeks, that's two weeks worth of abortions. I think that's worth it. I mean, what Republicans have done 
particularly since the the Tea Party explosion in 2011, that's when this sort of this new abortion restriction kickoff really started. They, for years and years, year after year, they passed the same laws until, or they introduced the same laws until they got them passed. And when they got them passed and they got sued, they litigated the crap out of these lawsuits, racking up millions and millions and millions of dollars in taxpayer-funded attorney's fees because they were singularly minded, right? They had one goal and they wanted to meet that goal. Why aren't Democrats that similarly singular-minded? Yeah, I mean, from, from a philosophical standpoint, you know, the the refusal, and this is sort of a, to, to paraphrase, you know, my my friend Ellie Mistal, I'm sure you know Ellie as well. Yeah. You know, it's like it's like the the refusal on the part of the Democratic Party to sort of maximize the power that's in their at their disposal. Because the whole idea is supposed to be, I'm gonna pass this, and if it's a problem, either vote me out or knock me down in court. But you you, you don't sort of hamstring yourself with this sort of idea of like, well, I don't want to I don't want to score a basket because then they'll go score a basket <laughs> right. and they will be tied. It doesn't make any sense. It makes no sense at all. And yeah, I mean Ellie Mistal is like he's he's fantastic, number one, mm. but you know, I see the the pushback he gets. He's way more willing to put himself out there online right now yeah. than I am because I've been doing it for so long and I'm just like, I'm done. But I see the mm. just incredible pushback that he gets when he just makes suggestions about what Biden and the Democrats could be doing. These aren't suggestions that are coming from a place of, oh, there's no point in voting. Voting is worthless. This is a man who wants people to vote, but he wants, and I want, Democrats to give people a reason to vote, particularly when you're talking about Black voters in the South, who Mm -hmm. Democrats are going to ask to stand in line for 12 to 18 hours. How is it that you expect Black folks to want to turn out? And I'm not, and I am not saying don't vote. Everyone should vote because voting is a critical pillar of the way that we get ourselves free. But it's not the only pillar and it's not our responsibility to vote and then just shut up and eat our peas while Democrats fundraise off of the fact that the Supreme Court overturned Roe when they had at least a month between the leak of the opinion. And as you said, between September with the Texas bounty bounty hunter law, they had time and they haven't I'm not saying they needed to enact policies that would definitely save abortion. I I mean, I need them to show that they are angry about what's going on and that they have our backs. Exactly. We're going to take a short break. We come back more about how the loss of reproductive rights impacts black women. This is A Word with Jason Johnson. Stay tuned. You're listening to A Word with Jason Johnson. Today, we're talking about the future of abortion rights with legal analyst Imani Gandhi. I want to talk about media coverage of this and the absolute failures that I have seen in media coverage. For years, we have seen mainstream media outlets, newspapers, some anchors say, oh, this would never happen. Oh, this would never happen. They're never going to go this far. Those same voices, even though Clarence Thomas said, in his concurrence, yeah, by the way, now we're going after same-sex marriage, and now we're going to go after everything else like that. We have those same media voices trying to downplay what the conservatives have said is next on the menu. My question to you is, as someone who's known what was going on, what is your reaction to these mainstream outlets? Do you think that it's just that they're too ignorant to understand what we have been facing and what the threats are? Or do you think that they're in cahoots with this? When you see these headlines and the Times and the Post and everything else like that, 
downplaying how bad this is until it blows up in their face. I don't think they're necessarily in cahoots with these anti-choice politicians. I just don't think they care that much. I just think that Mm -hmm. for a lot of them, it's a job, right? Like for me, journalism isn't just my job. It's the way that I, I, I advocate for what I believe in, right? And I don't buy this this idea that all journalists have to be completely impartial and completely neutral. My beef with the media, less about, you know, their ignorance with respect to reporting on these things, is how feckless they are when talking to the people that are implementing these policies, right? Like, mm-hmm. as I said earlier, the the treatment for ectopic pregnancy is abortion. And yet you have multiple lawmakers who think that it's possible to re-implant ectopic pregnancies into the womb. And when you have reporters asking them questions about it, they don't ask follow-ups. They don't say the overwhelming medical consensus is that it is impossible to re-implant an ectopic pregnancy into the womb. What do you say to that? What happened to follow-up questions, right? What happened to explaining to people what Roe versus Wade actually says? What happened to explaining to people what an abortion actually is? People don't know that a miscarriage is a spontaneous abortion, which means every miscarriage you have in an abortion-hostile state is a crime scene now. Cops are going to knock on your door to make sure that you didn't do something to cause this spontaneous abortion. So the media has failed when it comes to informing the public, which is their job. So right now, and I always try and leave people not necessarily with hope. I I tend to be more of a realist than an optimist. But right now, let's, let's, let's look at the next six months right? The next six months before we have an election. We do not know. I mean, like you said, political science, math, history suggests that Democrats take a hit. If you look at the polling actually now since Roe, like I theoretically actually think they could gain in the Senate and lose the House, right? We don't know what these governor's races are going to look like. But if I'm a 22-year-old black woman in Texas, in Florida, in Georgia, in Alabama, in Mississippi, um, you know, in Michigan, and I am in need of an abortion. I am in need of of abortion as health care or just because I want one. What are my options now? What do I do if I'm in one of these states that is, you know, creeping towards this sort of Christian identity nationalism masquerading as policy? First of all, get yourself a virtual private network. Seriously, get yourself a VPN because you do not want to be a young person in Texas typing, where do I get an abortion onto your just public computer? So figure out how to, you know, even if it's just incognito, that's better than just typing it into your browser. But that's the first step. And then the second step, find an abortion fund. There are so many abortion funds and networks, particularly um, for black and brown women in Texas, that you'll be able to get someone on the phone who will help you. But no matter where you live, you know, a state where abortion is legal now, they could decide to criminalize it later and then retroactively prosecute people. So it's just critical. But, you know, you say you don't want you. I, I always try to lead, uh, lead with hope. And you say you're more of a realist. And I think I've become a bit of an optimist lately. And I don't know how that happened exactly. <laughs> but I think maybe just living with a year with this sort of Damocles hanging over my head and just knowing the death of Roe was coming. Now that we're on the other side of it, you know, we're five, six days out of it. You know, I am prepared to move forward and figure out what the next chapter is. And I know there are a lot of advocates and activists that also are. I know there are a lot of people who are still in the, holy shit, what just happened? We're mourning this loss. And I understand that. But there are people who are ready to go. So as soon as you're ready to go, as someone who wants to get in this fight, hit me up online, 
hit hit up an abortion fund. Like there are people like you'll know if you go on Twitter, if you go on abortion Twitter, like you will be able to find the people who will have your back. But also make sure that the people you are contacting are either known to you or known to someone that you know. Right. And like right. if you need to use me as a clearinghouse, feel free because I either know people or know people who know people. Because one of the things that anti-choices are going to start doing is they're going to start erecting fake websites. Right. Let's yeah, say, yeah. do you need an to abortion? Come, come here, yeah. fill out this online form. And then you put in your information, you put in your email, get a proton mail, by the way, get a, get a discreet, non-traceable email, proton mail, P-R-O-T-O-N. Look it up. You can sign up. And it's basically email that is untraceable. But, you know, if you start putting your, you know, Gmail account onto these online forums, then they have your information. That's how they're planning on doing it. They were doing it in Texas, where they were just asking random people in the country to give them tips on if they know whether illegal abortions are happening. This is an era of neighbors snitching on neighbors in, a, in an economy that's crap. So they're incentivizing people to snitch on each other for money, which is really gross. I mean, it's a very dystopian world that we are entering. But it's a world that we are going to come out of, right? My my work wife, Jess Piclo, always says there's no way out but through. We got to go through this. And that we're going to lose people on the way. But on the other side of this is something that is stronger than Roe, something that is more inclusive, something that is not grounded in some nebulous right to privacy, but is grounded in equal protection and equal rights. And who knows, maybe before the Supreme Court gets around to reversing the reversal of Roe versus Wade, we can get some grassroots movement on an equal rights amendment. You know, that will solve the problem. Um, the reason why it failed in the 70s was because of abortion. So I think as more people start to realize what this means, that it means you might die of an ectopic pregnancy, that it means you might end up in jail because of a miscarriage, uh, uh, that it means that, you know, you might be criminalized because you admitted to your doctor that you used an illicit narcotic and your baby had some complication and now you're in jail. I mean, we have to know that this is where we are going, but we can make sure that we can take care of one another and be in community with one another and go through it together and build something better on the other side. Imani Gandhi is the senior editor of Law and Policy at Rewired News Group and the co-host of the Boom Lawyered podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you so, so much for joining me on A Word today. Oh, it's been my pleasure. And that's A Word for this week. The show's email is word at slate.com. This episode was produced by Eric Aaron. Alicia Montgomery is the vice president of audio at Slate. Our theme music was produced by Don Will. I'm Jason Johnson, tune in next week for A Word. 